everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 88 of the show, which means we are rocketing back to the future. Because, you know, 88 miles per hour. 88 miles per hour. We are in the month of, what is this? I don't even know where we are. Is this March or February? <laughs> oh, this gosh, is March. This is March, yes. March 11th, 1965. Finishing up the third month of the year. I feel like we just got to 1965 and here we are a quarter of the way through it. This is this episode tonight kills this month off, huh? Yep. Yep. And you know what's fun about tonight is we get to talk about Captain America and Spider-Man, which is always oh. exciting. Someone asked who the Superman is of the Marvel Universe, and they said Captain America or Spider-Man. And I replied, I think that this podcast panel will be torn on this one. So the Superman is in popularity or personality? I think so. Or I don't what? know. I would certainly say... Spider-Man is the icon of 60s Marvel, for sure, if not Marvel in general. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, Cap was the icon of Golden Age timely stuff, but certainly Spider-Man is way more popular and was until all this MCU stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Spider-Man was the top dog of Marvel until the MCU started, and I mean, arguably could still be, but there's definitely arguments to be made for some other people. Uh, as far as personality, I don't think either of them fit the bill for Superman. I don't know. That's just me. Okay. I don't know why. I mean, it's it's easy to say, oh, Cap and Super both goody two goody two shoe like hero hero guys, but I don't know. I don't don't feel like they're the same somehow. I have no idea who the equivalent of Superman is here. Well, we will probably have to let the listeners write in and tell us yeah, what they think. There you go. But we do have comics to talk we about. We do, and that's on me tonight. Two out of three, Ooh. anyway. So, Tales of Suspense number sixty six is our first one. And, 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 and what did we, did we already say when this is coming out? This is coming out in uh, March 11th. Uh, the first one, of course, is always Iron Man, and it's called If I Fail, A World is Lost, dun, featuring dun, dun. the inhuman menace of Atuma, written in the Marvel tradition of greatness by Stan Lee, illustrated in the Marvel tradition of grandeur by Don Heck, inked in the Marvel tradition of drama by Mickey DeMeo, lettered in the coziest corner of the room by Sam Rosen. And we kick off with Tony Stark charging. He's sitting there with his pants and, a, and his iron vest and, like, plugged into the wall. But he's got an appointment with a uh, 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 Senator something or other. Senator Byrd. Senator Byrd. And Senator Byrd does not like Tony Stark because Tony Stark is played by Robert Downey Jr. So, uh... He thinks that they shouldn't be giving him all this money, and he's like, you know, careless and, uh, uh, you know, unreliable. And here he is, even late for this appointment. So, of course, he shows up, though. And while he's like, you know, trying to appease the senator, uh, we get thought bubbles of happy, like, noticing how much Pepper is gazing at Tony. And he's like, boy, if only I could impress Tony and be as or, you know, impress Pepper and be as cool as Tony. Um, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll volunteer for what the senator's here for. The senator's here to check out this, like, one-man submarine that Tony Stark made. So so Happy's like, hey, I'll volunteer to, uh, you know, test it out because that makes sense. And Iron, or Iron Man, Tony's like, um, no, that's okay. I actually have Iron Man all arranged to uh, do this. So uh, I'll see you later. And that makes Happy Hogan unhappy because he's like, not only can I not do that, but... I never drive this guy around. He never needs me for anything. Uh, I'm just going to quit. And he walks out. But Tony's like, I can't really stop him right now because I'm busy with the senator. So cuts to 
Iron Man, because he makes an excuse to go off and find Iron Man. Iron Man comes in and says, hi, I'm not Tony Stark. And he's got the little submarine, personal submarine. He gets in. He goes under the water. He disappears. All the people watching basically don't really get much of a demonstration. And he's he's down there in the ocean, and he comes across a Tuma guys. Not a Tuma, but a couple of his guys. And they shoot at him. And he jumps out of the uh, submarine, and they think they've killed him, but really he sneaks around behind. He sees that he sees their big plan. He, they've got like this Doctor No esque like thing going on underwater, where they've got this big uh, monster gun, and I can't remember what the gun is supposed to do, but something like make it so that they can breathe on the surface, and everybody on the surface chokes to death and dies. So that's the plan for Atuma, which Iron Man is not cool with. So he goes into attack. They fight back. Um, they've got like these warships with little hooks that come out and try and grab him and stuff like that. Uh, but that doesn't really work. And then Atuma tries to shoot him with a heat ray, but he like shoots the water with his repulsors back at him. So that makes Atuma too hot. So Atuma runs away. And, like, Iron Man chases him, but Atuma, like, tricks him into, like, this laser prison that's down there. Um, but he uses, like, Iron Man uh, repulsor gadgetry or something to free himself of the laser prison somehow, science, and keeps going after Atuma. Um, I don't know what the heck happens. Like, oh, they tried to fire the gun and it blows up, I think. Right. Something like that. Yeah, because didn't he do something to it? Or did it just blow up? No, he must have done something to it, but I don't know what. Oh, yeah, he did. He found the controls and locked them or something like that. So then when Atuma says fire, the whole thing blows up. Iron Man flies to the surface, and uh, he's like, yeah, they'll never believe me if I tell them what happened. So he doesn't tell them what happened, which makes the senator think Tony Stark is even more of an idiot because his submarine doesn't work. And... Pepper's freaking out to Iron Man that Happy's gone, and basically Iron Man's just clutching his head at the end of this issue like, this is the worst day ever. The end. It kind of is the worst day ever. Yeah. Except for the whole shrapnel in his heart thing. Sure. That's even worse, right? Right, right. That would, that would definitely be the worst day ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to get this off my chest. Okay. It's not a tumor. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is this is okay. This is this is decent. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I'm kind of amazed they keep using Atuma all the time already. Yeah, does it feel like they love him more than we do? Yeah, like this is his third appearance already, right? Right, in pretty fast succession. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't. He's gonna he's gonna be doing he's stuff cool. in the in the Namor series soon too. I'm not. I don't know if I'm really into the underwater antics to begin with much. Mm-hmm. Like I like certain underwater characters when they're on the surface playing with us, but right. I don't need to go underwater and deal with Submariner's things or Atuma's things. And so it's like weird that both Ant-Man and now Iron Man have had to deal with this. Well, it's unfortunate that you say that because we're pretty soon going to be having regular <laughs> underwater antics. I know. I know. So you're going to have to learn how to uh, grin and bear it, Bob. <laughs> Submarine, Submariner and his underwater cape. Yeah. Right, right. Um. So we get a – I don't know if this guy is going to be around more, but like we've already got a bunch of politicians and government people hating on Tony Stark. But now we have like an actual name of a guy. Yeah, we have seen him maybe once or twice before. This is oh, his first we? appearance. Okay. But this is where um, 
back whenever he first appeared, I mentioned how he becomes kind of a, a, a thorn in Tony Stark's side for the Silver Age, mm-hmm. and this is where that starts. Okay. Um, he's going to start making more regular appearances, and he's going to be a problem for Tony. And happy quit. Oh, he's unhappy. He, well, you know, he has a point about the whole driving thing. Like, we've been he asking does. the same question. Yeah, what does he do? He just stands around. What am I here for? Just a decoration? Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, it is a little weird to, for him to think that he should be able to demo this submarine thing, but still, he should be doing something. We've never seen him drive. I mean, I'm sure there's there's stuff between issues. but Maybe, but we've says, never seen I never chef. I never chauffeur him. Right. So, so. it seems to be a rare thing. Um, I like that Iron Man knows about Atuma from Giant Man. It's like uh-huh. later on people are saying, oh, I read all about this guy in the Avengers files. Like, mm-hmm. like they're starting to build that knowledge base. Yeah, that is cool. And then they misidentify Atuma's origin in this. They say, Atuma, merciless renegade from once proud Atlantis. Oops. And I'm like, no, false. He is from the murky depths. <laughs> That's why he's blue. Although That's Atlanteans why he, yes. are blue, too. Atlanteans are blue. But then I looked it up. And it's all been reconciled over the years. Um, his people were banished from Atlantis ages okay. ago, distant past. So um, I guess it would be a precise description that he is of Atlantean descent. Yeah. I do like that, um, unlike Namor and his people who just wanted to like take over the surface with no real plan, he actually has this big James Bond rocket that's going to like re- reacclimate the, uh, uh, you know, above water environment so that they can actually survive mm-hmm. and kill us all in the process, which is just, you know, two birds, but no, Mr. Stock, I expect you to die. Yeah. Cause like with Namor, it's like, why do you guys even want to go to the surface? You're all going to suffocate and fall over. So Atuma is like thinking a little better. The, um, the bomb is made of nautilium. Okay. And I've been wondering if we should be keeping a list of fictional substances. I don't think we've actually had that many yet. Uh, but nautilium is so rare that the real world has never found any. It's only been put in this missile. And that's it. That's why he can't make another missile after <laughs> after Iron Man explodes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if they'll ever uh, mention it again. We could just keep a list on the website or something, I guess. Go through and... Because they haven't... Yeah, what else have we had? Nothing, really. I can't think of anything. I mean, there are places like Marvel Wikia that, that keep lists of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We could, too, uh, as far as which episodes they appear in. Um, like a tags or whatever on the episode. Or tags, but, uh, yeah. Just tag yeah. it. Yeah, because we haven't had like, I mean, I can't think of anything else. Like adamantium is the big one. We haven't had that. We haven't had that. Vibranium, haven't had that. Right. We've had uh, unstable molecules. Yes. That's it. I don't know. To reread it. Page nine, mm-hmm. Iron Man says, he's firing some sort of heat ray at me. Mm-hmm. I can feel the burning sensation right through my armor. And I'm like, Iron Man, Tony, you want to watch out for those burning sensations that make it through your armor. <laughs> See your I don't doctor. know about this whole heat ray underwater thing either, but oh well. Yeah, I guess it like, could work. Maybe. Well, I, the thing is with him and Iron Man is that Atuma's main threat is in his strength level. Uh-huh. And there is no like major thrash out fight between him and Iron Man in this. No. He shoots him with a gun and then he runs away and then he tricks him and then he runs away some more. Right. That's kind of not that fun. This could have been like Iron Man versus Submariner Light or something. Could have been. Oh, so wow. he's just like swimming around him. Yeah. And then he realized he's running out of oxygen. He checked it too. He's like, oh, I forget. Oh. I'm almost out of oxygen. I was like, you you told yourself you're almost out of oxygen, remember? 
<laughs> it's kind of interesting that have we seen Iron Man go underwater before? Like his default suit allows him to survive the depths of the sea. Like that's a power it has. No leaks. I don't no. remember if we've ever seen him like go deep, deep in the water like this before. So I'm sure he's been in the water. Because I know in the future he has like specialized water armor or space armor or whatever. Yeah. So, but I guess this one's able to uh, seal off those those eyes and mouth socket or holes. And well, I was just thinking about that because normally those are open holes. Yeah. So it must be a glass that goes down or something. Maybe but they don't really talk about it. They didn't talk about the ceiling of this suit. Like, he's got all these electronics that would mm-hmm. not be good in... Oh, wow. I think there's definitely a hole in the plot in this story, at least in its concept. Because <laughs> he's Iron Man. How is he... Yeah. You can't just put your electronic suit in water. Which, by the way, he uses to get out of this jail. So, like, all those buttons and controls on his belt underwater, they're working still? Buttons, by definition, have air spaces on the, around them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, he's Tony. I guess he figured it out. The end of the issue, no one on the surface world knows about Atuma. He could have lied and said he ran into Namor's people. It wouldn't even be a lie. Just be kind of inaccurate because Atuma's Atlantean descent, like we said. So, like, there are ways to get out of this, but I don't know. Well, you know, all those people that Atuma uh, captured on the plane know about Atuma, don't they? In Giant Man. Isn't that, wasn't that oh, his yeah. whole plot? He was on the surface. That's right. But anyway, I mean, everything's so fantastical now. It's kind of weird when they say like, oh, no one will believe me, so I just won't say anything. It's like, really? You're freaking Iron Man. We're going to believe anything you say at this point. Mm-hmm. We've seen we've seen the aliens, man. We've seen Submariner. We know he exists. A- Atlantis has attacked New York. So lots of fantastical things in this world. You totally yeah. could just say, hey, mm-hmm. ran into some problems. But no. Otherwise, you wouldn't get this really great panel at the end where Iron Man's world is falling apart around him. Yep. He's like gripping his mask. Oh no, what they, are we going to do? They just really don't want him to have these military contracts. Like that seems well, to be a thing. It's interesting that like that's the drama, right? Like corporate government <laughs> money I know. is the plot of this story. <laughs> right? And it's all a these a little bit weird. All these 60s hippies are reading this going, that's okay. <laughs> Who cares if he loses all his money? You don't need those government contracts. For military man. contracts. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up half of this. Yeah. If you're done, so let's move on to uh, the Superman of Marvel, the fantastic origin of the Red Skull. All new, never before revealed. So we've had, what, three stories of basically retellings of the Golden Age, right? Right. Three. So now, and the last one was the retelling of the original Captain America comics number one, Red Skull appearance, where it's revealed he's a guy named Maxon, and originally he dies, but in the Silver Age, he escapes... So then you think, well, maybe this is going to be Maxon, but it's not, kids, because here and now, in the full maturity of their titanic talents, Stanley and Jack Kirby recreate the glory and the grandeur of Captain America, ink by Shikstone, letter by Artie Smick. Um, the Golden Age of Comics lives again in this new, in this, the great new Marvel Age. So now they're just telling new Golden Age Cap stories. New World War II stories so, about Captain America. Right. So it starts with him captured. What? Turns out he and Bucky were trying to like infiltrate Germany in a submarine and it didn't work. We don't see that on camera or on panel anywhere, but we know it didn't work because he's captured. He's tied in a chair. He's unconscious. The Red Skull's there. Two of his shirtless goons are waking him up from a beating with a bucket of water. Um, He's pretty much helpless. So the Red Skull's like, now's a good time to tell you about my life. 
So he does. In flashback form, we see a faceless, the entire, the entire flashback is Red Skull faceless, essentially. We see a faceless little street urchin. He's really good at stealing. But unfortunately, even that's not good for him because the other boys are bigger. So whenever he steals something, they just gang up on him and beat him up and take it. So then he ends up in prison a lot. Then he ends up sleeping in stables and barns a lot. Then he gets menial labor jobs a lot. Uh, at some point, Captain America goes, okay, I can't take the story anymore, and tries to beat him. But the Red Skull just smacks him around and knocks him over on a stool, um, then continues his story. So Hitler takes over Germany. Uh, there's lots of soldiers. There's lots of people being rounded up. At this point, the Red Skull is a bellboy in a hotel. <clears throat> and that hotel happens to be um, being housed, housing uh, the uh, Adolf Hitler himself. And Adolf Hitler's upset with one of his generals i don't know the guy failed at something i can't remember what but he's like i could make anybody better than you you're so lame i could make this bellboy better than you and then he like double takes and looks at the bellboy's face and sees all that you know vicious red skull hate and he's like yes yes i really could make him better than you this this man is a masterpiece so he takes him under his wing. He trains him to be a soldier. Uh, first, he puts him through boot camp, but then even that's not good enough. Eventually, he takes him directly under his wing. So Adolf Hitler is directly teaching the Red Skull all about hate. Um, and then he dresses him up in a you know Marvel villain green jumpsuit with a swastika and the infamous you know Red Skull uh, uh, mask. So we never see his real face, but he emerges as the Red Skull and uh, basically. Um, um, Starts wreaking havoc. And then cuts back to the present. Cap's heard enough of this story. So he tries to escape. He actually does a pretty good showing by um, kicking him and dodging his dodging his gun and stuff. But ultimately, he gets punched. And then the story continues. So Red Skull's ravaging, you know, Europe, um, rounding up bunches of people, feeling like I'm pretty sure he's more uppity than even, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler at this point. Um... He's destroying enemy ships. He's doing a good job being a bad guy. Um, back to Cap. Back to the present, though. Cap tries to fight one more time, but then it turns out something's weird. Something's happening. His legs won't work. The room is spinning. He falls over. He's like, yes, that's because we gave you a chemical while you were unconscious. And then this weird German-looking doctor guy comes in, and he's like explaining that, yeah, I gave him a chemical that will basically have him do whatever you want. So as soon as he wakes up, he's yours to command. And true enough, Captain America wakes up. And the Red Skull says, I have a mission for you. And he says, I'm ready. And then he holds up his hand like Hail Hitler style. And um, um, that's the end for now to be continued. It's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. Two, two cliffhangers sort of in this book. But this was a bigger one. Yeah, definitely the bigger one. Cap is losing. He's, under, he's a pawn of the Red Skull. Oh, I forgot so, to say in my summary that there at some point they also say that how'd you figure out that Maxon wasn't the real Red Skull and Cap says something like, Oh, the way he fought, he didn't fight as cool as I thought you would fight. So he knows that this isn't Maxon. Right. 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 He doesn't know this that is part. not this is not the fake Red Skull. Yeah. Um Okay, so like you said, Yay finally getting to new Captain America stories set in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, this kind of sets the stage for World War II stories having a bit more of a serious bent, mm-hmm. a little bit more grounded in the war, not quite as kooky, although this one is definitely, you know, a masked villain going after, you know, Captain America. Yeah, um, but it's at least actual war. Right. I mean, this is this 
could I don't know if it'd be a good Sergeant Fury story. Sergeant Fury doesn't go quite into this kind of masky stuff, but you know, conceivably this is the same world that Sergeant Fury's happening in. Feels a lot more of that than like, you know, the mm-hmm. chess playing butterfly or whatever it was. <laughs> chess playing evil mutant who's just attacking New York, yeah. Right, right. Like, this is actually in Europe and war and Red Skull making a name for himself. In in modern comics, origin stories are such a big deal. Mm-hmm. That it's kind of crazy to think about the fact that the Red Skull never got one. But that's just not how the Golden Age worked. Yeah. The Golden Age wasn't as concerned with origin stories as we are. The origin was that he was German and therefore evil, and that's all you need to know. He wore a swastika. And he wore him. a swastika, yeah. But I really love his origin in this, in that like you never really see him. I don't know why that's just right. a cool that's just a cool effect. It wouldn't have mattered, I guess, if you showed his face. They don't you know, whether you tell us his name or not, like he's inconsequential in that sense. Like who cares what his name is? But like I just like that he's faceless until he's given his evil face. Right. It's like you can imagine the evil uh-huh. that Hitler sees. They're not oh, yeah. showing you the evil. Yeah, that particular series of panels is pretty awesome. You just see the back of his head. And really, I mean, that's one of those things where, you know, imagination is is the better storyteller. Mm-hmm. Because if he says, oh, I see this unbelievably evil person here, and it was like, you know, just a guy named Joe. Snarling. Yeah. Right. Then it would come off maybe a little bit cheesy. But as it is, it's like, oh, who is this guy? Yeah. Uh, okay. Ready for Captain America continuity class? Okay. Okay. So... When I was doing my Captain America read through for the last time I was thinking about doing Captain America podcasting stuff, mm-hmm. one of the things that I, was, I was paying attention to was um, when does it become apparent that the Red Skull, Johann Schmidt, had his first appearance in Captain America Comics number seven. Like, that was one of those things that, like, mm-hmm. I knew the real Red Skull first appears in issue seven. How do we know that? Like, right. when does that happen? Okay. So. The Red Skull appears in the first issue of Cap Comics, and he dies at the end. We talked about that story. Maxim, yeah. Right. Then he shows up again in issue three, mm-hmm. and we see him getting up off the floor from where he allegedly died. Uh-huh. So that explicitly demonstrates that he's the same Maxim guy as the first issue. They just left him there, I guess. Right. right. And he <laughs> dies again at the end of that story. Right. He gets blown up in a tank. Uh-huh. Then he shows up in issue seven. And there's not really any explanation beyond, ha, 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 I'm the Red Skull, I'm back again. And for the rest of the Golden Age, it's like that. Sometimes he appears to die, but he always comes back. Now, is, and issue, there's n- is issue seven where he has that, like, destruction train and destroys Dodger Stadium? and That's three. Oh, that's three. Okay. Yeah. I guess I don't, I it, must have read seven, but I don't remember what that what story was. That's the one where he plays Chopin's funeral march before he kills you. Oh, okay. He has the flute. And he goes, do, 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 do. I'm going to kill you. Very theatrical. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So he shows up in issue seven, like I said. Um, but, you know, for the rest of the golden age, he shows up. Sometimes he dies. He always comes back. There's no reason to think in the golden age comics that there is more than one person as the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. This is the issue that comes along and says, oh, wait. That guy we saw die in Suspense 65, Captain America Comics number one, I'm not that guy. Right. So, and so he, it's like they're trying to solve a problem, but it doesn't really solve the problem because like you said, the Red Skull dies multiple times in the Golden Age. So, Right. There so wasn't really a problem to solve. 
Right. Like someone just wrote in, hey, remember how he died in number one or three? And so they decided to fix it, I guess. Maybe. But then he also died in seven, 12, 58. And, you know, I just made those numbers <laughs> up. But yeah, all the other ones, right? Right. <laughs> so here's how all the, um, all the retcons lay it out. Okay. Cap Comics 1 and 3, that's George Maxson. Mm-hmm. In the first issue, the scenes where the Red Skull is orchestrating the henchmen, mm-hmm. that's the real guy. That's Schmidt. And Maxson is his decoy out in the field. Oh, boy. That's really complicated. Okay. Yeah. So if you look up appearance lists, Johann Schmidt is listed as Captain America Comics number one. Because according to all the retcons, he's in some of those scenes. Well, wouldn't that be his first appearance then? Yes. So, I mean, I'd like... People tend to say it's seven. Some lists say it's one. Oh. Um, this issue here is Captain America's chronologically first time to meet the real Red Skull. Mm-hmm. And it sits on the timeline right after Cap Comics 4. So going forward to the Golden Age with Cap Comics 7 and everything after that, where they don't explicitly say it's the same guy, um, it's this guy. Okay. The real Red Skull. So in issue seven, where Red Skull says, ha, 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 I'm the Red Skull, I'm back again. They met here in this story, and then he's back again in that one. All right. So it's all a little bit more convoluted than it needs to be, but at least I know how the continuity works and how it was all laid out. And it's still, it's still at this point, and at no time in the Golden Age has the words Johan and Schmidt ever existed. Right. I, I don't think we actually get that name until, like, that 297 issue. Holy Or the, the story of 297 going to 300? Yeah, where he's I think that's where, where he's where he aging first gets, and dying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where he first gets his actual given name. <sighs> Isn't it crazy how sometimes like things you take for granted took forever to happen? Yeah. That's weird. Um okay. So anyways, that's just a thing. I I it I, just makes it I, more I confusing. Know, so I looked it all up. Multiple and there's also a fifties red skull, just to really add to it. Uh, Which is going to be fun because we're going to see the 50s Red Skull before they create the 50s Red Skull. Right. Because um, he shows up in a Spider-Man story from the 50s. Perfect. So multiple <laughs> Red Skulls, multiple Caps, multiple Buckies. It's just fun. And a partridge and a pear tree. Yeah. And then there's real first appearances. And then there's fake. We're kind of guessing first appearances. So this is like the real. there's retcon first appearances. Yeah. This is the real first appearance of Johann Schmidt Red Skull, essentially. Right. Yeah, but then, this appearance right here is what later retcons will always say. This is the first time you met the real guy. I always find that kind of disingenuous when you look at like a handbook or an index and it'll say like his first appearance is Captain America Comics number seven. It's like, can't you qualify that and say, no, it's actually Tales of Suspense 66, but we also sort of think Cap Comics number seven retroactively. Like I wish yeah, they would do that. But they don't do that sometimes. Because there are some lists now that will say that Jessica Jones's first appearance is Amazing Spider-Man 4, mm-hmm. which is a retcon that she's in a crowd scene in that issue, mm. but she doesn't actually get identified on panel as Jessica Jones because Jessica Jones doesn't exist as a character until Alias. Yeah. They should list multiple first appearances with like qualifiers or something. Yeah. So you understand the difference. But anyway... For the next person who writes an index for Marvel. Right. Um, I kind of love that Hitler found a guy full of hate and groomed him. Yeah. What I don't like is the blunt object scripting. Because I don't believe for a second that Hitler walked around talking about being evil. Yeah. They sure just make him out to be like fully evil and loving evil. And I'm going to – he's like Satan or something in this. Yeah. And I mean, Hitler was a bad dude. But he thought but- he was good. 
yeah, he didn't think he was a bad dude, which is the problem with bad dudes. Yeah. Bad dudes don't realize they're bad. That's the problem. That's why current episodes of The Good Place have been doing some really cool stuff with that uh-huh. uh, Brent character. Yeah. And also just taking him under his wing personally. I don't know. Yeah. That's all good, but it's basically him saying, like, only I can teach him proper hatred. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> I don't know. Only I can really hate. Yeah. Only I have the power. You notice that um, the first thing he says is, kill this incompetent guy that started all this. And the Red Skull's like, hey, that shoots him. But he's like, hey, you just shot the buttons off his jacket. Why don't you kill him? Dead. He is no further use to you. But alive and filled with fear, he is another slave for you. He will obey your every whim. And this reminds me of how, like, the Red Skull didn't die in the last issue either, even though he normally does. So, like, they're just really not wanting to do death right now or something. Yeah. Okay. So this feeds into, um, I was reading through recently a Captain America comics reprint in fantasy masterpieces. And I tweeted about this, about how, Hey, look, they've changed some of the art. And then someone mentioned, they also changed some of the art for comics code reasons. And Mm. I haven't seen any examples of that yet, but the first thing I thought of was they probably erased some of the death. Race the death. They probably changed some of the horrible stereotypes of, you know, non-white uh, well, I characters. I just read an issue about General Fang that was pretty, pretty, oh. pretty bad. <laughs> okay. Well, that's unfortunate. You'd think they'd at least do that. but Right. If they do some of that, they did not do it in the issue that I read. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because, like, when they retold um, his origin story, they added that whole scene where he blows up an entire submarine full of people. And we're fine mm-hmm. with it. But it's like maybe after that scene, some editor said, hey, guys, uh, can you cool it on the whole everybody dying in cat books? I don't know. Yeah. It's like they've gone out of their way to not do death all of a sudden. Red Skull not shooting this dude seems way off to me. I agree. I mean, he has this this justification that he's going to be a slave and scared. But it's like, yeah, right, Skull. These days you would have just shot this guy. No problem. And been proud of it. Yeah. Then you would have shot Hitler. But – so they make a big deal about how his costume is so like fear inspiring. It's a jumpsuit with a swastika. Yeah, they're not great with villain costumes. Still, I feel like why are yeah, they always well, this is why are they always green and why are they always baggy and not exciting or anything? It's weird. It is what he wore back in the day, not in his first appearance, but pretty quickly on, he started wearing a jumpsuit with a swastika. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not exactly the only thing fear inspiring about that is the red skull mask, which I can agree would probably look pretty frightening if it was a good sculpt of a skull. Um, it's, it's, it's a toss up whether or not the forties was, you know, you can assume that the skull actually looked very fearful. The, I think the skulls in the forties looked way scarier. Especially when okay. you po- when you posted that back to back on Twitter of the two of it being changed. No, I just think like like a, like an actual red skull mask made by a person in the forties oh. would it have would it have looked scary? Oh, I don't know. I just meant like the style Kirby was doing. He made him look like a yeah. monster. Um, yeah, it was really kind of freaky. It is weird. He's definitely not going for the Darth Vader thing. Like, there's not a lot of intimidation in a jumpsuit with a swastika on it. He could have at least done like a black. Gestapo uniform or something, you know? Yeah. Something cooler. Like in the movie? <laughs> like in the movie, right. Uh, yeah, he looks like a dude um, who's like just lounging around on the weekend, kind of. But I thought it was a pretty great cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, when all the backlash to the Secret Empire story happened, I was like, why? We've done this before. We've done the Captain America is a Nazi before. It all works out in the end. What's the big deal? 
Because they always think it's permanent for some reason. I don't get that. Like It's never permanent. Did you honestly think they were permanently changing Cap to be a traitor this entire time? Like, of course not. This is a storyline. It'll it'll work it itself will out. It over. Like, like, deal with the emotion of the moment. Yeah. Deal with the hurt and pain that he's revealed to be a Nazi, like the characters in the story are. But don't for a second imagine that this is actually the way things are going to be now. Mm-mm. By the way, I also forgot to mention he doesn't know where Bucky is. So they captured Bucky, too. And we don't know where Bucky is. So I guess maybe next oh. issue we'll find out, hopefully. Oh, yeah. But he's missing this entire thing. He just says, what have you done with Bucky? And they don't answer. Is he in the water? Because that's where he ended up. <laughs> he's, in the, he's in the bucket. Bucky is in the bucket. Uh, okay. Well, I think I'm good. Are you good? I think I'm good. This is a... I mean, we're we're into like real Cats in America in the, mm-hmm. world, in the in the World War II era, and I'm I'm digging it. I mean, this was basically just an origin, but that's kind of a big deal. Red Skull origin. I just I already knew it, so it was a quick read, but cool setup. See what happens next. Shy, um, there, there's there's a joke we made back in um, the Mighty Shield days, or maybe this was whenever Weeder did the Cats America retrospective. I don't know. Um, he's a bellhop. Mm-hmm. in this right mm-hmm. and i was in spanish class and i learned that the spanish word for bellhop or bellboy is botones mm-hmm. which literally means buttons oh god i remember that because yeah. of the buttons going down the jacket and so for a while there red skull's nickname was buttons which well, I, think I think we should adopt it let's take it yep. yeah yeah buttons it is buttons captain america versus buttons how how undermining god he would hate us okay buttons calm down come on buttons show yourself why why all the hate buttons relax instead of okay boomer okay buttons (laughs) i will read the world of captain america okay buttons. okay buttons okay calm down The fabulous FF reach out in desperation, only to find a blind man shall lead them. Oh, boy. Yes. Splendiferous story by Stan Lee. Delectable drawings by Jack Kirby. Delicious delineation by Frank Ray. Laconic lettering by Artie Simic. All right. Um, last issue, we saw the FF narrowly escape death on a lonely isle when a nuclear explosion occurred. While their deadly enemies, the wingless wizard, Sandman, the trapster, and Madame Medusa, who choose to call themselves the Frightful Four, escaped with seconds to spare, Reed, Ben, Sue, and Johnny took the full brunt of the explosion, protected only by Sue Storm's life-saving invisible force field. For more than 24 hours, the FF drift helplessly on the high seas, until a searching atomic sub finds them at last. One of the most startlingly different FF sagas you have ever ever read i i think we're our podcast has been going the wrong direction this entire time why are we summarizing and reviewing these things when we really should just be making little radio episodes out of every issue <laughs> wasn't there a podcast that was doing that for the hulk i don't know but that's awesome isn't it we could all just take I've, different voices do sound yeah, effects yeah, that'd be good oh, that'd be really we should hard get like though. five people on here and just start reading these things that'd be really difficult but it might be fun yeah Okay, so the four FFers are all, like, knocked out. They're on bed rest on the sub. Reed is hallucinating a flashback about the last issue's events. Um, They all wake up, and they're getting served food to try to get nurse themselves back to health when they realize they don't have their powers. Ben Grimm is fully human, and all of the other Fantastic Four members are 
powerless. For the remainder of the voyage home, they don't really talk a whole lot, and Reed is constantly doing science to try to see if there's any solution to change them back. When they get to their, um, no, they're still on the, uh, I think they're still on the sub while they're doing this. Mm-hmm. They start Operation Artificial Powers. Um, they put Johnny in a full skin jumpsuit covered in little flame generators that somehow make him look like the human torch and he can fly. Uh, invisible uh, girl is put in this like uh, exoskeletal thing that can bend light and make her look invisible. Uh, ben Grimm is given a walking dummy that he can control with an Atari joystick and make it look like the, you know, make it act like the thing. And Reed Richards has, you know, those, um, you know, those little alligator head pincher thingies mm-hmm. It's like the alligator head on a really long stick and you pull the little trigger down here on your hand and it grabs stuff at the end it's of like the stick. Gopher, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah. He's got those. Yeah. So, um, he has these, you know, long sticks that make him grab stuff. So, um, it's all like really clumsy and bad and they're not sure if they'll ever be able to use them, but they've got to be able to use them because otherwise their enemies will attack them and get revenge. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Victor Von Doom, sitting on his throne in his imperial castle in the heart of Latveria, a tiny kingdom nestled deep within the Bavarian Alps, is um, watching a magic trick and a hypnosis trick. And the hypnotist is like, now hypnotize you, my lord. But wait a second. I can't hypnotize you. You've already been hypnotized. Here, I'll undo it. And Dr. Dim's like, wait a second. <gasps> Reed Richards tricked me. I've been sitting here all this time thinking I was the coolest guy in the world. Turns out Reed Richards is still the coolest guy in the world. And so he decides to get revenge. Um, Matt Murdock has been summoned by the Fantastic Four to meet them in a warehouse uh, in downtown Manhattan. He shows up and they're all practicing with their stuff. Reed Richards has his alligator head grabbers. Johnny Storm has his, you know, flying stuff. Ben Grimm is trying to get the centipede controller to work with his uh, thing thing. And (laughs) Susan Storm is trying to make herself turn invisible. Uh Um, None of it's working great, honestly. Uh, And Matt Murdock uh, is like, I guess, I guess they need help. And Reed's like, we've lost all our powers and you're our attorney. So if anything happens to us, we need to make sure that we're set up and good. Um, so while they're talking, someone starts attacking their warehouse, like blowing in the walls. Matt Murdock ducks away and turns into Daredevil. Fantastic Four are like, whoa, Daredevil's here. Hey, Daredevil, we don't have any powers. Can you help us? And Daredevil's like, I'll help you. And they all look out the window and they see um, a, 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 like a, a flying saucer is sitting on top of the uh, Baxter building. Like, oh my gosh, what is that? And they realize it's Dr. Doom, who uses a slide projector <laughs> to project onto the sky a message. Mm-hmm. And I just want to take a moment to think about the fact that he had to like print this thing, mm-hmm. take a picture of it and shrink the image down and put it on a slide, like old timey slides. And he would put the slide in the projector and he had to find a, he had to like find the plug to turn mm-hmm. it on and make sure the angle was right. Mm-hmm. And then he's shown this thing up on the sky. The Fantastic Four shall now die by the hand of Dr. Doom. And the Fantastic Car 
uh, flies toward them. Dr. Doom's controlling by remote control. He uses it to try to attack the Fantastic Four. They all dodge out of the way. It splits into its four components. They're like, oh my gosh, we're getting attacked by our own cars. Meanwhile, Dr. Doom is sitting there with his like video game controls going, yeah, 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 attack him, attack him. Um, he sends a tornado after them. And throughout all of this, Daredevil is basically helping the four helpless humans try to get away. They throw some oxygen tanks into the um, tornado because that seems smart, I guess. Um, Dr. Doom decides to launch a force beam projectile at them. Uh, they dodge that. Um, Daredevil, uh, he does something to try to go after them, uh, after the uh, Dr. Doom, but it's not successful. He gets knocked down. So all the different Fantastic Four members, they've all been scattered and they're all trying to go after Dr. Doom in the Baxter building, but, um, they, they don't know if they'll have any chance against him because they don't have any powers. But we end the issue with them driving towards the Baxter building to attack. Dang. Yeah. Um, the Frightful Four won. Yeah. That Strange they're, Tales group of bad guys. Yeah. They're not followed up in this issue. So basically they left the Fantastic Four for dead, left, and they won. Mm-hmm. There's no follow-up defeat in part two. I mean, maybe it'll so happen in part 12 or something. But We saw them in an issue where they like went to uh, the Baxter building to check and see if they had still won to see the Fantastic Four had come back. They're like, I guess I guess they really did die in that blast. Yeah. Because they were still gone. And um, Little did we know Doom was sitting there working on his like projector message. And there's been quite some time passing because uh, the, the, they said that the blast happened last month. So we figured, you know, there's got to be some time. Last month could technically be yesterday if it was, you know, the calendar very next day of the month. But um, Well, this caption says for more than 24 hours, the FF drift helplessly. So this is... So, yeah, they drift for a day. Then they start... But then whenever they're working on their Operation oh, uh, right. Artificial Powers, they're not even in the Baxter building. They're in a warehouse nearby. So they hung out in that warehouse for a while trying to get their powers straightened out. So I did have some thoughts on that, like, musings, like, okay, if I were the FF and I woke up and I had no powers, like, is my number one priority to get powers again, or is this overkill and I could just, you know, move and no one would mm-hmm. care, you know? Like, I don't know. It's a good can't decide. point. Yeah, because, like, who says they have to keep being the FF? Well, their theory is that their bad guys will attack them, which might be true, because they get attacked a lot. And, I mean, to be fair... They do get attacked in this issue. They get attacked in their own in that building, though. So maybe if they just moved into a regular house in like Connecticut, nobody would care anymore. Especially if they oh. split up. And also, I missed the part where Ben was ecstatic that he's not the thing anymore. I don't know. Does he not care about that? That should have been there. They should have had that note. Yeah. But otherwise, I gotta say, I love Fen- or Kirby's designs on what the Fantastic Four would look like if they didn't have their powers naturally, like. Uh, especially Johnny's like weird green bubbly jumpsuit. That's just so cool looking for some reason. Yeah, I made fun of it a little bit because I mean the ideas are a little bit ridiculous, uh-huh. but Kirby makes it look good. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of neat, but obviously ineffective. Yes, um, which is kind of funny because that means the flying wizard might be smarter than Reed Richards because he invented his powers and he works just fine. Oh, Maybe Reed yeah. should stop trying to invent their exact powers and just invent new powers. Give themselves new powers, make themselves fantastic in new ways. Yeah, you'd think. Force field. Then they'd be step one. The awesome four instead of the fantastic four right. because they have new powers. Right, magnificent four. Um, Doctor Doom. Uh huh. Has had no recollection of anything. 
I forgot but now that. He remembers. Yeah, that was kind of a fun uh, story beat because I had forgotten that's how we left him, like thinking he'd mm-hmm. won. That was kind of cool. That was cool. I was actually like, did we read Fantastic Four Annual Number Two, or am I reading this out of order again? And I desperate, I desperately <laughs> looked it up because I couldn't remember what happened. But yeah, because that's happened to me. We before. did read it. Okay. I mean, and, and yeah, because sometimes they tell the stories out of order. Or well, I we think get the issues out of order. Fantastic Four number two is a sore spot for me because I read almost the entire thing before realizing I was supposed to be reading number one. So I've already read it out of order once. And then I thought, God, am I doing it again? But Oh, no. When, it, when we covered the first annual, were you, did you accidentally read the second annual? Yeah. I got all the way to like the end where it started introduce, or showing pinups of all the villains they fought. And I'm like, wait, I haven't read these issues where they fought these villains. What's going on here? And then I oh, realized no. my mistake and I had read Fantastic Four annual number two. Well before number one. So I already read it. And then I read it again. And then I forgot about it, apparently, because I'm sitting here reading this going, have I read that? I've read it twice. There was a, um, I can't remember which one it was now, but there was a movie that my wife and I literally rented three times. (laughs) And every time we rented it, we thought it was the first time we're seeing it. Oh, no. And then, you know, the second and third time we watched the movie, we were like, wait a second. Wait a second. I think I've seen this movie. And sure enough, on the third time, we laughed at ourselves because we realized what we were doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's like, I forget now what the movie was. It looks really good on the cover, but apparently leaves no impression. Yeah. Yeah. It was some sort of romantic comma drama mm-hmm. something. How funny. Um, but anyways, uh, this is, again, continuing the, like, the ongoing open-ended storyline that's going to mm-hmm. be lasting in Fantastic Four for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, we're still kind of in the main the main first phase of that plot, but, uh, but it's pretty, I good. really dug it. Oh yeah. It's pretty good. It's like, you can tell this is where their sweet spot is. Cause we had like last year, there was quite a few issues where they weren't that great. Like the camaraderie mm-hmm. was good, but the plots were kind of boring and stupid. This is actually ramping up pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I think people think of when they think of the good fantastic four. I think they think of this, this run kind of since the frightful four showed up. So maybe that's where, what kicks it off. Mm-hmm. Is their evil counterparts? For know. as much crap as I give them for being strange tales villains, I mean they they do make a good first showing. Yeah, and the wizard does a pretty good job with these Silver Age stories of of being a, a a nemesis, and it's the introduction of Medusa, which brings us to the whole Inhumans thing eventually. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's not bad. I just when I realized it was all strange tales bad guys plus Medusa, I was like, oh my gosh, that is kind of whose funny. idea was this? Yeah, I just I, I have to give us some crap for that because that's such a weird a weird origin story for that team. We get Daredevil. Daredevil. And I think this in is his brand new red suit. And this is first Kirby Daredevil, right? Yeah, I don't think Kirby's ever drawn Daredevil before. I am almost I would almost believe if someone told me that he didn't draw him in this one either. Because it almost seems like someone else is coming in and finishing just Daredevil. Because the Fantastic Four look very Kirby to me, and Daredevil looks more Wally Wood to me, or not Kirby. Somehow. I don't know. I mean, that sort of thing has happened yeah. in comics. Yeah. Like, so like, I wouldn't put it. Like maybe Kirk, Kirby didn't know the details of what Daredevil looked like and couldn't be bothered. So he just did like a generic action layout for this guy. And then someone came in and finished it. Maybe. Maybe. Or just knowing that Wally Wood was their Daredevil king. They yeah. Just let him do it. Or that. Yeah. It just doesn't look very Kirby. His faces and stuff. It's kind of weird. But it's cool. Anything else on this one? I think we're kind of just kind of blazing through it. But um, yeah, not really. I mean, I like Daredevil's showing. He's kind of it's kind of neat that he like pretty much saves their butts. But uh, yeah. Oh, I know. I had a thought about this. Like they say that he's their attorney, 
But like is, that yeah. story in Avenger in, in Daredevil issue two didn't exactly end well. And I'm kind of surprised oh. they kept him on as their attorney. Why did they invite him for attorney reasons? I forget. Like in case they die or something. Basically, because they don't have their powers anymore. So if anything happens to them, they want to make sure that like their patents are secure right. and their monies are taken. Yeah, all that stuff. Which is like, isn't he a criminal lawyer? Why is he? Is he just able to do anything lawyer? Is that how that works? I think at this point, their law is basically like their science. It is anything <laughs> law. <laughs> okay. I'll go with that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's usually if specialties, you, if, but. You know, there most definitely are. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of law. Yeah. Um, but okay. Gets them together, I guess. Yeah. Boy, that's like every story we've covered tonight is a cliffhanger. Let's see if this next one actually ends. The Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Okay. Amazing Spider-Man, number 25, the last of our month, uh, captured by J. Jonah Jameson. Yellow cover, for all you yellow cover fans. Uh, Do you think Spidey's had trouble before? Just wait till you read this one. What happens to a superhero on the run when he has no place to go? Swinging script by Stan Lee. Dazzling drawing by Steve Ditko. Loquacious lettering by Sam Rosen. Um, It actually has a little more here. It says, Sturdy Stevie Ditko. I'm sure he loved that. Dreamed up the plot of this tantalizing tale, and it's full of unexpected surprises. So turn the page and see if you can guess what's coming next. Oh, boy. I'm already tired. Summarizing Spider-Man is tiring. I don't know why. But okay, because every panel matters. Uh, (laughs) Peter Parker is leaving Liz Allen's house after tutoring her. She's in love with him. He decides that last issue he left one of those spider spotlight bat signal things up on a roof somewhere. I don't personally remember that, but he says he did, and the caption says he did, so let's believe it. So as Peter Parker, which I always think is awesome, he climbs up the side of the wall because his spider sense doesn't go off, so no one's looking at him except Mary Jane. And he uh, finds it, but just as he's about to leave, he sees these guys casing cars, and he's like, oh, I could go down there and catch him, but oh, look, there's a cop. So instead what he does is he flashes the spidey bat signal at the cop, and then he moves it over to the bad guys, and the cop looks over and goes, hey, you're bad guys, and he arrests them. Spider-Man takes a bunch of pictures. He then goes home and decides he needs a spare outfit, just in case. Probably not for this story, but just in case. Then he goes to work to the Daily Bugle, tries to sell the pictures to Jameson, who's not into them because Spider-Man's not actually in it. He's like, It's just a spotlight, and it's a cop. And so Peter's like, ah, I really need this money, so I know what I'll do. I'll betray Spider-Man. And he's like, think about it, JJ. This is proof that a lone single cop uh, got to the criminals before Spider-Man. You could really twist it that way. And, of course, that turns Jameson on. He loves the idea of making Spider-Man look like an idiot. But it makes Betty upset because she overhears this, and she's like, don't you remember that he's, like, saved us a million times and stuff, especially me and and your aunt, and that's just not cool. But before uh, Peter can, you know, address it, this dude walks in with a robot. Okay. And Jameson's like, I'm not interested. And he's like, no, but Mr. Jameson, this robot can catch spiders and Spider-Man. And Peter, I guess, still high on this idea of twisting J. Jonah Jameson around and stuff. He's like, think about it, J.J., what harm would it do to demonstrate it? You could be like a hero. You could capture Spider-Man. He's like, okay, yeah, that's true. I could be awesome. So let's demonstrate it. So the guy hands Peter a glass with a spider in it. And he's like, see, now watch. The robot will sense the spider 
and attack. Of course, the robot really senses Spider-Man and attacks, and his arms, like, come shooting out, protruding out, like, you know, Mr. Fantastic style, and just wrap around him. And much to Peter's uh, dismay, the arms of steel are so strong that he actually can't break out. So now he's like, uh-oh, I thought it was just a big goof having J. Jonah Jameson, like, <laughs> hire this guy to capture me. I was going to you know, beat up this robot real easy and make him look like an idiot. But actually, this robot is horrible and I can't get out, so this might suck. But of course, Jameson loves it and agrees to work with him. Betty hates Peter even more and storms away, which makes Peter like, gosh, I can't understand dames or whatever. He goes to school. Flash found out that Liz was tutored by him. So Flash challenges him to a fight after school because that's how you solve that problem. Uh, In class... Peter's really worried now that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some random robot is going to come chasing after him because it can sense spiders and knows that it's him. Um, and sure enough, that does happen. So after school, instead of meeting with Flash, who has, of course, all his friends hanging out and waiting to beat him up, um, he goes tearing down the street, running away from the robot. The Flash and the gang think that Peter's running from them, which he's not. Um, oh, I forgot to say, this robot, if you don't know what a spider slayer looks like, that's what they're called eventually. I don't think they are in this, but... Uh, no, this is just the Jonah robot. Yeah, this is just the Jonah robot. But essentially, it's like a round gray tub of thing with arms and legs, but it has like this um, circle for a head that's like a screen. And in his office, J. Jonah Jameson can look through that screen, and his head is projected into the screen. So it kind of looks like the robot's face is J. Jonah Jameson. Which is interesting. So anyway, the robot – Basically, the robot is tearing down the street with J. Jonah Jameson's face and J. Jonah Jameson's voice shouting, get back, everybody. Spider-Man must be near. And everybody's like, isn't that J. Jonah Jameson? That's <laughs> So anyway, while no one's looking, Spidey, as Peter Parker jumps up onto the roof, quickly changes to Spider-Man. The robot goes after him. Luckily, he changes – off camera so so Jonah doesn't see how he changes. But, hey, there's Spider-Man. Let's go after him. So he's basically chasing him with his big long legs and his steel. Spider-Man tries to web him up, but that doesn't work. Like, he's really having a problem. Um, the Flash guy and all his crew kind of chase around to help Spider-Man, but they don't really do anything. Um, Betty tries to help Spider-Man by getting in the way of the remote controls because she's at the office with Jay Jonah still. So she tries to get in the way and later she tries to unplug the thing, but he basically catches her and kicks her out. So she's mad at Peter and she calls him to try and like, I don't know, either yell at him or get him to solve the problem somehow, but he never answers. So she decides to just storm off and go over to his house. Meanwhile, Spider-Man is still fighting uh, when the girls, uh, where when Flash and his crew, including Liz and Betty show up separately Betty and Liz are cold to each other, per usual. They go to the front door to look for Peter. Aunt May answers and says, oh, he's not here, but I'd like you to meet this other girl that's waiting for him. This is my, uh, this is my uh, friend or my, my neighbor's daughter or niece or whatever. Mary, niece, yep. Mary Jane Watson. And it shows her kind of, but there's like a flower right in her face, so you don't really see her. Um, of course, though, the girls are like, gasp oh my god she's the most beautiful thing i've ever seen we cannot compete these are what they're thinking separately but their faces are exactly the same um so they leave they go their separate ways devastated uh flash's group also leaves because they're getting bored he stays behind to wait for peter to show up so he can beat him up back to spider-man fighting the spider slayer or the jonah robot or whatever you want to call it um 
he gets tangled up finally, and he's getting pulled into the body, and he can't get out, but he's like, oh, and then so Jonah's like, okay, we've captured him, and the guy who made the robot's like, okay, well, I, I'll just park him, and then you and me will go over there and get Spider-Man. So they're not looking anymore. The view screen goes blank on the robot. Spider-Man uses his tactile, uh, you know, spider finger things and opens the panel because he's just right there stuck next to the body. And he basically rewires it so it's destroyed. And when J. Jonah Jameson and the inventor guy get there, they see Spider-Man in the arms of the robot. But when they investigate further, it's just an empty costume. And up above on the roof, Peter Parker was animating the costume with some webbing like a puppet. So that infuriates uh, Jameson, who blames the maker. Spider-Man takes a bunch of pictures. Uh, he heads home just in time to not see Mary Jane or Flash. But when he gets home, Aunt May's there ready to confront him. And she's like, look what I found in your closet. And she pulls it out, and it's a Spider-Man costume. And he's like, uh, it was just a disguise. I was going to use it to fool some people. I can't, I'm not really Spider-Man. And she's like, oh, of course, I should have known that. You're too puny to be Spider-Man. And he's like, whoa, the end. That was it. Yeah. Um, that was long, but. It is a very busy issue, as your synopsis indicated. Uh-huh. But to my mind, this is like the height of the Ditko run. Well, it's funny because I'm not a super huge fan of the Spider Slayer concept, and I don't think I've ever read. Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever read this one. I was into like I'm talking more like '80s ones and stuff. But uh, right, so I saw this and was like, "Oh, grown." But I got to say, it was actually kind of fun. Yeah, it didn't it's, it's a really fun issue. The, the 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 robot is bonkers as hell. He is, but he looks kind of adorable. So I don't know. Yeah, with the, with the with the Jonah face, and you can just like imagine him cackling out of that thing like nonstop. And I and I kind of um, love that that it's all Peter's fault that he has to fight it in the first place. So it wasn't just right. it wasn't just that Jonah. I, see, what I was thinking is Jonah was going to go to some evil inventor and pay to create something to kill Spider Man with, but really it was like Jonah had no interest in this thing until Peter twisted his arm. And then it all backfired. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of fun. It's like in the uh, issue three when he's like, I wish I could just, you know, have some more bad guys that could really give me a run for my money. Yeah. Enter Dr. Octopus. Yes. Yeah. Exactly um, like that. But the, the the drama with the characters is top notch. The subplots, a lot of the subplots kind of reach a culmination here. Mm-hmm. And um, knowing how the rest of the Ditko run goes, there are bright spots, mainly in the master planner arc, Mm -hmm. but in some ways uh, things are basically downhill from here. Oh no. Okay. So this is, this is kind of like the, how many more issues does he have? Not to put him on, not to put you on the spot. He has another year. He has another year, 13 more issues. Okay. Um, And some are good. Some are middling and some are just downright hard to get through. Do you think it's weird that they go out of their way to say he wrote this one like he hasn't been writing the other ones? Um, and why would they do that? Having having read Marvel The Untold Story, I'm wondering if this is one of the situations where Stan Lee didn't trust the story mm. and was only doing it because Ditko wanted to do it, try to make him happy, and kind of throw him under the bus a little bit here. Okay. And Ditko didn't appreciate it. That sounds about right. Makes sense. Okay. He I know that happened at least once or twice because they talked about it in the book. So he just didn't want the credit <laughs> in case in case yeah. it backfires. It's like, well, this was Steve's idea, his baby. Basically, that's exactly it. He did not trust the story, and if it didn't, people didn't like it. It's like Ditko's idea, y'all. Yeah, that's kind of funny. 
He's like, yeah, just which, like which all the other 24. In, right. Because that's the thing is that like so many of these were Ditko's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to think that that's sort of feeding into the idea of why Ditko did not enjoy working with Stan Lee at this point. Um, of course, another element of that is I kind of, you know, whenever Stan, whenever they created Jonah Jameson as a character, mm-hmm. part of it, part of the concept was a pastiche of Jonah Jameson in the bullpen. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh. My words. The, the Stan Lee in the bullpen. The Jonah Jameson was this pastiche of Stan Lee in the bullpen. Uh, just kind of like, you know, sort of tirading sometimes. Uh-huh. So making him the bad guy, like this kind of bad guy. Right. Might not be so good for him. Oh, interesting. Or at least in sort of, you know, cathartic form or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the confidence at the beginning. Um, Aunt May likes Joan Crawford. She's watching a Joan Crawford movie. Okay. So I wonder if she's going to start tuning into uh, Dark Shadows next year. Because Joan oh. Crawford stars in that. That's, that'll be too violent for her. It's not violent. It's not. Well, I guess it might be because the, the boy tried to kill his dad. Spoilers. Yeah. Scary vampires. Vampire. Yeah. Um, Peter starts turning Jonah's nastiness to his own favor. Um, Betty is very upset about this. I liked that. Which, yeah. Because last we heard she was on the fence about Spider-Man altogether. So I guess she's decided he's okay. Yeah. And some people in later stories like to paint her, paint her with a broad brush that she hates Spider-Man because of the death of her brother. And, and she doesn't really. Yeah. That's not, that's not really the, how she, how she rolls on that. No. I mean, I'm sure her, her feelings are complex about the death of her brother because that's how feelings work. Yeah. But, um, but he also clearly saved she, her and Aunt May. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to hate him completely. I imagine. The um, I wrote on page four. Mm-hmm. Which one was page four? Trying to get to page four. Where he convinces him to do the robot thing. Yeah, the art on that whole sequence was a delight mm-hmm. with the facial expressions with yeah. Jonah and with Peter and with Betty and like the when when Peter's trying to like fend Betty off as she's trying to pull him off of Jonah. It's just a it's just a great sequence. I'm not getting mixed up with any of you nutty mad scientists. Every time I listen to one of you nitwits, I end up being a laughingstock. Now it's like, man, I wish I had a list so far of the twenty you know, of twenty five <laughs> issues. How many times he's messed around with a mad scientist? I feel like it's a yeah. lot. Well, with the Scorpion, of course, is is the biggest one. Scorpion is the biggest one, but also Mysterio wasn't he involved in that somehow? The Mm-hmm. When he was pretending to be a psychiatrist. Uh, right, right. Um, I don't know. I feel like there were others too, but maybe Doc, was he ever involved with Dr. Octopus at all? I don't know. He wasn't involved with Dr. Octopus. Hmm. Um, he has done stuff like Electro is really Spider-Man. Oh. So he's used to being laughed at. Yeah. Well, won't be the last time. I love Peter's face when Betty is yelling at him on page six, the second row, that first panel of the second row. He actually looks legit mm-hmm. repentant. Mm-hmm. After the way he saved your Aunt May from Dr. Octopus. Right. And he's just like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess so. It's just funny because he got carried away slamming himself, essentially. Like, he's not actually betraying Spider-Man because he is Spider-Man. So he didn't even think about it that way, probably. But No, no. And, like, but she could have spun that. it. Yeah. Like, okay, so even if he – you don't have to admit you're Spider-Man to say, I make money taking pictures of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man can beat this robot, no problem. Yeah. So why not, you know, get him into a fight and then I can take pictures because I need the money because we're sick. Yeah. Not sick, we're poor. Yeah. Oh, Flash. Um, Flash. Oh, Flash. What are what are you doing? He tells Liz, no, I'm not trying to get him into a fight. Third panel, you better be there for the fight. 
<laughs> and that doesn't do anything for her. So I don't really get – I mean, I get that men are just like that. So, okay, I get it. But it's kind of like if you think about it, what are you doing to get Liz by doing this? Nothing. No, he's just trying to get his male ego. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't care if he gets think- Liz. He just wants to beat the guy that Liz likes. Yeah, yeah. Although you'd think he'd remember that Peter punched him one time and he flew 20 feet and got away with it. But <laughs> That was back in first semester. This has been a while. Well, I, I thought that he just, like everybody else, didn't realize that's what happened. But he must have. But I guess maybe he doesn't even know that happened. I don't know. He's probably forgotten or talked himself out of it or something. Yeah. It was just a lucky shot. Yeah. Puny Parker. There's no way Puny Parker could have done that. Maybe. Um, page eight. I think the Jonah face is what makes this robot just yes. so delightful. He's freaking adorable. Yeah. And Flash's face at the bottom there mirrors Peter's face from before. Liz is yelling at Flash the same way that Betty was yelling at Peter. And he's making the same face. I want to go to those R2-D2 Builder and Dalek Builder and Wally Builder websites forums. And I'm going to post this picture and say, come on, step up your game. I want to, right? I want to see one of these this at a convention. <laughs> and they can even hire the actor, what's his face, to like, or, you know, put some video of him in the in the screen or something. That'd be awesome. And like, you can just imagine the Benny Hill music playing. Uh-huh. Like on page nine, that big panel in the middle there, where the kids are running after Peter. The Jonah James robot is trying to find Spider-Man, but he's running after the kids who are running after Peter. It's just, it's a great sequence. I love that all the people on the street are just like, is that... J. Jonah Jameson what? in a robot? Is he what? is he giving away what, what's, free samples or something? What what what's going on? Because <laughs> like what the hell is going on? This is insane. What's that thing advertising? Yeah, yeah. that's just crazy. Good, 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 good and actually, stuff. that's really bad for him because I imagine all this is illegal in some form or another. So he's just really slapping his face on it. Yeah, yeah. There's some form of assault and or battery is going on here. I don't know exactly Destruction what it is. Destruction of property as they climb up the side of the building. Yeah, endangering people. I don't know. Lots of stuff. Not good. So page 11, mm-hmm. he shoots his webs, various forms at the robot, and the robot sluices it all off. Mm-hmm. It won't stick to any part of him. Now what do I do? And this is, this is like when Sailor Moon does her moon tiara action or her moon princess halation, but the monster is still there. And it's like, that was my one move, and it always works every episode. I don't have anything else. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how formidable this cute little robot is, but it, those tentacles, it almost I mean, won. Just like, yeah. I can't even imagine all those tentacles coming after you. That's Spider Man's greatest weakness is tentacles, as Dr. Octopus knows. Mm hmm. Can't mm-hmm. handle it. Page 12, Jonah discovers video games. <laughs> I like that Betty tries to sabotage it. That was kind of cool. Yes. Uh, I don't know about going to Peter's house to what? Make him do what? I don't know, but that's okay. Just, Just yell at him. Probably. Yeah. That's a great. But I love Betty. That's a great scene, though. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Trying to uh, <sighs> uh, undo the power plug and she gets thrown out of the office as she tries to call home. And now I mean, the scene where Betty and Liz, who have historically hated each other, like even their balloons turn icy every time they talk to each other. And suddenly they have a common enemy. That's just like that scene. Betty and Liz. Yeah, Betty and Liz. They go in the, yes, they go in the house is... and they see Mary Jane's legs. And suddenly it's like neither of them are what's important anymore. Now we have a third enemy. <laughs> this is the best page. Right? I love this page. I love this so much. This is, I mean, the stuff with Liz, the stuff with Betty. It's coming to a head here. Mary Jane is teased. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, granted, we're never going to see her wearing anything like this ever again. But <laughs> yeah, okay, MJ. that was a little weird. But yeah. Well, it makes you wonder what Steve Ditko's Mary Jane would have been like, right? Uh-huh. And they call her a screen star. And, um, you know, there are pictures of women wearing like the the headscarves uh-huh. and the sunglasses trying to keep themselves out of the view of the paparazzi in the 60s and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah. And their reaction, like that page 15. I'm sorry, the, the bottom panel on page 15, the, the girls. Mm-hmm. He's been hiding her from us. That's the best part, because up until then, they're both snarling at each other, and then it's just like, mm-hmm. suddenly they're in it together. <laughs> it's really funny. At least for a little bit, then they hate each other again. But And then Jonah starts singing Peter's favorite song. He floats through the air with the greatest of ease. And he's like, I wonder if I sounded that corny when the shoe was on the other foot. And I'm just like, yes, Peter. Yes, yes you did. Of course you did. Um, yeah. The, um, the resolution... The stuff with the costume and the puppet strings doesn't make a lot of sense because it acts like it still has full body volume to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm willing to forgive it because it's even if the clothes were wrapped around a lib costume, the dramatic point would still work here. They'd run up and say, oh, my gosh, what happened to Spider-Man? And it would it would still be. A- I mean, you could have just had it be empty and they could have had the same shock. But that was funny. And you figure something's going to become of this second suit at some point. So there you go. Already. He needed a second suit. And, and Aunt May corners him. And I love how Peter like goes through all the tropes of being Spidey. Like he says, I don't even have it under my clothes. And I'm like, why would Spider-Man have to wear it under his clothes? Who says that's a rule? Right. I mean, he does, but you're only saying that because you know that. Yeah. So round one of suspicion. I assume this happens more often, but. Oh, with Aunt May suspecting Peter of stuff? Uh-huh. Or anybody. Yeah. Not a lot. Of, no one's accused him of being Spider-Man yet. Right? Not since that unmasking where he was sick. Oh, that's but right. But it was just like, oh my gosh, Peter, why did you do that? No yeah. one actually took it seriously for yeah. a second. No one thought he was really Spider-Man because he got beat so easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But fantastic issue. Fun as hell. Great dramatic beats. I love this issue so much. I've been yeah. like looking forward to it for a long time. Yeah, really cool. And only $111 on eBay, if anybody's interested. <laughs> um, okay, that's, that's it. it. That's the month. Woo-hoo. Oh, man. That's what we have to do now. Yeah. Yeah, we got to talk about what are our top and bottom picks for March yeah. 1965. Um, should we run down what was what was on the list? Yes, please. Okay. So going back to the X-Men 11 with The Stranger, The End of Magneto and Toad, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver Leave the Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. That's where we started. Mm-hmm. Then we had Journey into Mystery 116, which was the uh, the Trial of the Gods, where Thor and Loki have to like race each other to get back to Asgard. Mm-hmm. Then we had Tales to Astonish 68, Peril from the Past, where the human top comes back to torment Giant Man, and Kirby takes over Hulk and takes him back home so that Dr. Banner can be back from the dead. We have Sergeant Fury 18 killed in action, which is kind of a lie because Pamela Holly wasn't in military action when she was killed. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, she was helping people. But is that her kind of action? A nurse? I guess. I guess. Strange Tales 133 featuring um, the Human Torch and the Everloving Thing up against the terrible toys. When the Puppet Master came back as... Like not the puppet as, master as as what's his name from the Adams family? 
Yeah, yeah, he was Uncle Fester. Uncle Fester, yeah. And also Doctor Strange had a nameless land, a timeless time, which is when basically he was Sam Beckett um, for a weird other dimensional world for a moment. Okay. The Avengers 16, the old order changeth. Mm -hmm. That was, of course, wrapping up the Masters of Evil, bringing in the new Avengers and saying goodbye to our old team. And then the three we had tonight. Iron Man versus Atuma and the Red Skull origin in Tales of Suspense 66. Uh, the Fantastic Four with Daredevil versus Doctor Doom and the Fantastic Four 39. And Amazing Spider-Man versus the Jonah Robot mm-hmm. in Amazing Spider-Man 25. Oh, I'm set. So, Are you set? I am set. Okay. Well, my bottom what is is, your- uh, is, is uh, Fester. Strange Tales 133. Particularly, okay, so particularly you're picking human the torch, torch thing. But Doctor Strange wasn't that great either. It seemed like kind of a throwaway, sort of. Yeah. And my number one, I actually don't know if the plot is better than Amazing Spider-Man number 25, but the changes are just too epic to ignore. So Avengers 16 is the oh. milestone this month for me. Okay. I mean, it does have the okay. weirdness with Plan D, which I don't like. And mm-hmm. some of it's like, why didn't they go look for Captain America head-scratcher stuff? But... Come on, out with the old, in with the new. I don't know. It just seemed really epic and important. So, Avengers sixteen. There was a lot. There was a lot of decent to great this month. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Giant Man and the Torch were our two stinkers, and Giant Man wasn't that much of a stinker. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't great. Um, yeah, it wasn't great. You, you know, which whirlwind or whatever coming back is not that big deal. No, no. Uh, it's the first part of our two-part finale of Giant Man, and it's, I mean, it was kind of ho-hum. So I'm going to agree with you on Torch. The top, if this were not Amazing Spider-Man 25, uh-huh. then I have Fantastic Four, I have Captain America, uh-huh. I have Avengers, I have Sergeant Fury in the running for top this Oh, wow. Okay. This week. Mm-hmm. Um those are all strong, strong, strong issues. But it's Amazing Spider-Man 25, which is just one of my all-time favorite comic books ever. So I've got to give it to that one. But it's not by default Spidey is my man kind of choosing. It's just, it's 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 the one. Okay. So we, we break I, our I, agree on everything streak. Yeah, but I don't fault you for that because Spider-Man 25 was really good. So it's just not life-changing. I guess, but it is no, good. No, um, I, I agree that Avengers 16 is, is a really strong issue. And honestly, Fantastic Four 39 was one of the most fun I've had with the Fantastic Four comic in yeah, a really long time. For so. sure. And the, the Red Skull origin, I mean, that's, that's a classic origin. That's a, it's a fun story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great cliffhanger. It's mm-hmm. a, I mean, for the, for the 10 page second feature, those things are not usually given a lot room to be great, but that one was a good one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Fantastic Four making some top months here coming up pretty soon, seems like. Yeah. We'll see. I chose it last time, but I yeah. Think, yeah, we'll see what they compete with next month, but should be pretty good. Well, speaking of next month, what is our homework for next month, next uh, episode? Okay, we've got Journey into Mystery number 117, where Thor is in an all-out battle with something. Oh, with Vietnam. <laughs> Vietnam. I've already read it. I forgot. Um, and then we have Tales to Astonish number 69, where the Hulk and the leader actually meet 
and second part of uh, the whirlwind guy stealing the wasp from Giant Man. And lastly, we have Daredevil number eight, the first appearance of Daredevil's main number one villain of all time, the Stilt Man. So, re- <laughs> so read those three, guys. That's what we'll be covering. I love the way you phrased that, his number one villain of all time. Yeah, totally. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, we um, – hold on a second. I'm having trouble. Okay. Um, there we go. Clicked on the wrong thing. I was like, wait a second. Okay. We have recently been followed by Randy Watts at Lord Randy. I intend to live forever. So far, so good. We have been followed recently by Ali Hartsbed at Bartaro, one half of the Ben and Ali duo. That's Bally to you. Peter J. Catellar three teacher, raconteur and Mets fan and the co-host of fantastic geek. Um, and he's a big fan of the Watchmen show, which I have seen the episodes of, and it's amazing. Lindsay Newton. Hey, Lindsay. Lindsay, um, I remember him all the way back at uh, Avengers Inspirations. So I'm glad that he has found us here. If this is, I think this is the same person. So welcome, Lindsay. Johnny Fresno at Fresno Comics fan, longtime reader and lover of Marvel Comics. Charlie's Geek Cast from my personal friend, Charlie Niemeyer. Uh, I say personal friend. We met their podcasting circles, but we've known each other for a decade now. Husband, father, podcaster, all around geek and all around good guy. Charlie, I hope you're enjoying the show. Richard Field has followed us and Dano underscore Cosmic, who is a um, frequent Twitterer about lots of stuff with Marvel and comics and Cosmic Marvel, Silver Surfer, Guardian, Thanos, all that stuff. Mm, Not my specialty, but interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we've had those followers on Twitter. We always appreciate retweets, uh, mentioning us on Twitter so that your people know we're here and um, stuff like that. Their thing over there. How can they? Um, how can they find us on the the giant web of computers known as the internet? Well, skip the computers and download your favorite uh, uh, podcast playing app, and then just type in "Make Ours Marvel," and I hope that we show up. But if that doesn't work, you can go to the computer and go to makearsmarvel.com and find all our episodes there. You can find links to all the various ways to play them. Uh, you can find links to our social media, Facebook and Twitter. And lastly, you'll find a contact form you can use to write us or you could just write us podcast at makearsmarvel.com. We've had a couple of followers and likers over at Facebook, Manfred T. Oliver and Robert Alterman. So the show is on Facebook, although we're not very active over there. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. You can uh, follow my other shows. I have a new Transformers podcast. I say new. It's been going for a month or two by this point um, where I'm talking about the United Kingdom series of Transformers comics from the 1980s, as well as the cartoons. By this point, we're probably deep into season one of the cartoon series. That is at TFUK Podcast on Twitter or TFUKPodcast.com. The show is called Return to Cybertron. I also have All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast looking at 90s image comics at All the Pouches or my website, JohnReadsComics.com. And finally, I have a Scarlet Witch tweet blog at Let's Talk Wanda, where I, uh, as I prepare a story for the show, I kind of try to do a deep dive on uh, Wanda's narrative in the story and how her character is uh, moving forward in her life. So do please uh, follow any of that. That sounds great. And um, I guess that's our episode. That's it. March is over. March is over. Nine more months to go. And uh, we're getting close to... uh, 
Getting close to annual season. Oh boy, that always slows us down. Ahead. We got, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it happens. Yeah, but a couple more months, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be annual season. There are like four annuals this year, so I have to figure out how we're gonna do that. Um, but until then, or until Doctor Doom becomes Daredevil, make ours marvel. marvel.